Welcome to Daily Devotion with Ken Gurley. Devotions designed to inspire you on your daily walk with God. Each day we walk through the vital principles of the abundant life. Our Lord can do above and beyond all we ask or think. Here's your host, Ken Gurley. I collect certain books. Books on awakenings and great religious movements. Books on early apostolic Pentecostal history books by certain authors. But I have one set of books that have nothing in common but their title, and their title is the same, If I Had Only One Sermon to Preach. I have several books by that title, and I've collected a hundred sermons or so by individual preachers by that same title, If I Had Only One Sermon to Preach. Some pastors say they would preach the Gospel Made Plain, Brownson. Some say, not far from the kingdom, Hughes. Nett said, I would preach possessing your possessions. Miller said, seeing your reversals as glory. The message I would choose to preach has varied over the years, from doctrinal to inspirational, inspirational to evangelistic, evangelistic to apostolic, and now from apostolic to more prophetic. Not prophetic solely in the sense of finding where we are on God's time clock, but prophetic in the sense of calling those things that are not as though they are. So if I had one thought to share, it would be this, dreams of the harvest. All of this week on Daily Devotion, we're speaking about exploring the miraculous. Where do you want to be one week from now, two weeks, a month, three months from now? I want to be in the midst of a great supernatural harvest, deep into harvest. In the Old Testament, the Jews were required to worship in Jerusalem three times a year. These were called the great feast or the required feast. Isaiah called Jerusalem the city of the appointed feast. Wouldn't you have loved to participate in something like that? From all over Israel, worshipers came singing the Psalms of Degrees or the Songs of Ascent, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, because Jerusalem was and is in the heights, nearly a half mile above sea level. Worship is often a climb, but they sang as they climbed, the entire family journeying to the place of sacrifice, for each feast was associated with a harvest. At Passover in the spring, it was the barley harvest. At Pentecost in the early summer, it was the wheat harvest. At the tabernacles in the early falls, it was the harvest of grapes and olives and pomegranates and dates. And each family brought the first fruits with them, the tithing from their crops, the portions that belonged to the Lord. What a joy. Each person openly boasting of the goodness of God on the way to God's house, each person knowing that God had seen them through, each person believing that God would be there for them in the future. And so we stand at the opening of what we believe to be a great season of harvest. In spite of the pandemonium, in spite of the pantheism of this world, in spite of the spiritual panhandling going on around us, where do you want to be a week from now? A month from now, three months from now, I dream of being in the midst of a great supernatural harvest. Why? 
because that's where the Lord of the harvest will be. Ephesians 3.20 in the Amplified Version says, Now to him who by and in consequence of the action of his power that is at work within us is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly far over and above all that we dare ask or think infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams. Let's dream big dreams, dreams of the harvest. Don't discount dreams because all things big and small began as a dream. You see, I'm not much on plans unless they're fixed to a dream. If there's no rising star, there's nothing worth hitching your wagon to. The untold power of dreams is very real. If you will tell me your dreams, I will write your life story in advance. I'm not talking about goal setting. Goals are different than divine dreams. Goals break down major achievements into manageable steps. Goals emerge from cool logic and dispassionate reason. Goals are measurements of progress. But dreams? Dreams are an altogether different animal. Doug Newberg interviewed hundreds of world-class performers, athletes, artists, surgeons, business leaders. He wanted to know what made them tick. A consistent pattern emerged. Each had a dream, a clearly defined dream, that they held before them each and every day. Newberg's research became known as the resonance performance model that is used in many fields today. The chief idea being, if you can define your dream clearly enough, it will begin to take shape in the day. Now, all of this would sound like Napoleon Hill and the power of positive thinking if it wasn't for this simple fact. God gives dreams. God-given dreams are tied to one of the three abiding virtues, hope. And hope, Paul said, maketh not ashamed. We think of dreams as wishful thinking, but they are far more than that. Dreams are the stuff from which tomorrow is made. Dreams are transformative. They can change our future. Dreams are restorative. They can heal you of your yesterdays. In his book, Leadership Challenge, the author says every organization, every social movement begins with the dream. The dream or vision is the force that invents the future. Tell Jacob there's no power in his dream at Bethel. Tell Solomon there was no power in the dream he had in that tent in Gibeon. Or when God came to him by night and answered the prayer he had prayed by day at the dedication of the temple. Tell Martin Luther King Jr. there's no power in a dream. Tell Joseph there's no power in his dreams. Joseph dreamed two dreams, and those dreams brought him in contact with two men who had also dreamed dreams. Those dreams brought him in contact with Pharaoh, who had also dreamed two dreams. Joseph's life could only be explained by divine dreams. And this is what intrigues me. Pharaoh went to sleep one night, and he dreamed. He dreamed of seven healthy cows eaten by seven lean cows. He dreamed of seven good stalks of grain devoured by seven unhealthy stalks of grain. And it took Joseph to tell him the meaning of the dream, seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of want. Joseph said that the land of Egypt would produce bountifully for seven years. 
and that stockpiles from those seven years of plenty would see them through the seven years of drought. I'm not sure what all the future holds, but if God is still in the dream business, and I tell you he is, if God is still offering seven years of plenty, I want to see that happen. Unless they're attached to God-given dreams, they're not going to happen. And even if they are God-given dreams, dreams by night don't always translate to actions by day. No, it takes all of us pulling together. The wisest man of the Old Testament, Solomon, wrote in Ecclesiastes 5, For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. Dreams don't come through talk. The fulfillment of dreams come through the walk. They come through being busy about the master's business and occupying till the Lord returns. Lawrence of Arabia once said, all men dream, but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their minds wake in the day to find that it was vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous men, for they may act on their dreams with open eyes to make them possible. We need dreamers of the day. Those people who say we will rise and make a difference. We will, with God's help, make it happen. And these people will watch dreams come to life. I say that because if it's a God-given dream, then the chances are very high it will die or seem to die. For God-inspired dreams to be accomplished, they must be brought low. Every Isaac will be placed on an altar. And what seems like the end of our dream is only a temporary stage every dream must go through. Your dream is not dying, it's maturing. And what we often fail to realize is that the worst possible thing that could happen to our dream is the best possible thing that could happen to our dream. Why? Because when the dream seems to have disappeared, it reveals how passionate about it we really are. When the dream seems to be taken away, it reveals whether we can live with it or without it. And the fight to restore that dream is part of what makes it so special. It's Abraham fighting back the vultures of the night. It's Rizba clinging to the slimmest of hopes for her children. It's Job shouting, even though everything is dying all around me, I know that my Redeemer lives. It's Rachel's voice being heard in Ramah, sowing in tears to reap in joy. It's David saying, I don't understand. I don't know why. But after I was anointed, after my eyes were opened, after I heard the dream of what God was to do in my life, then I endured great affliction. It's Paul saying, I had a dream on a Damascus road. I remember hearing a Macedonian call, but the stoning, the perils in the deep, the punishment, the affliction, the light affliction is what Paul called it, is working for an eternal weight of glory. The dream thief will come by to kill and to steal the dream if he possibly can. If you don't have the dream clear in your life, you will never be what you can be because the dream thief never quits. About the time you think you're beyond Satan's reach and temptations, he comes again to steal, to kill and destroy. In Bruce Wilkinson's allegorical tale, The Dream Giver, we read of a young man named Ordinary, the nobody who lived in the land of familiar. In the story, 
Ordinary receives an invitation to leave his comfort zone and to pursue his big dream, and the invitation was sealed by a long white feather. When Ordinary told his father about it, his father grew very quiet and pensive. He said that when he was a young man, he too had received such an invitation, and that it had come sealed with the feather. But he was afraid to leave the land of familiar, and so he remained a nobody. And one day that feather turned to dust. His son was determined to not let that happen to him. And so he followed his dreams. And when his battles were won, he took the long white feather, dipped it into ink and wrote to his father saying, I discovered that every nobody has a dream and it's never too late to pursue it. And his father too then followed the dream. The resistance can be so difficult that you find it nearly impossible to bear. But don't let the dream die. Let your critics go ahead and criticize. Let people mock and ridicule and laugh. But someone will see a great and glorious dream come true. Where do you want to be a week from now, a month from now, three months from now? I will say yet again that I want to be in the midst of a great harvest. I believe we are going to see a harvest like we've never seen before, a glorious spiritual harvest, because God is able to do far more than we can imagine above all that we ask or dream. I'm believing God for the miraculous in your life. I'm believing God for seven years of plenty. Open your heart and dream of the harvest. Thank you for sharing in daily devotion with Ken Gurley. We pray this ministry has been a source of encouragement and strength to you. Please be mindful that your financial support enables us to meet with you each day. To give a donation or connect with us, visit our website at kengurley.com. There you will also find the latest books, podcasts, and resources. Blessed 90 Days to Change Your World is Pastor Gurley's latest book. You can get your copy of this life-changing book at kengurley.com. May God's favor rest on you in every way until we meet again.